it is good to see you. Thanks for being here. I want to give a shout out before we get started today uh, to my brother Aquila and my brother John, who uh, brought the word to you the last couple weeks. I had an opportunity to hear it. They're rock solid stuff, rock solid. Man, it's good to have it's good to have teachers of the word in the family here, and they did a tremendous job, and I'm just so thankful for them. Susan and I had a little bit of break last couple of weeks, a little R and R, spent a little time with our family uh, down in Florida, where it rains and rains and rains, and uh, had a little road trip, and just had a great time. But to hear the word of God preached here these last couple of weeks, I'm telling you, that's what it's about. Okay, that's what it's about. And you were here, you showed up. Up and they rocked it out. And I also want to give a shout out. Uh, I normally don't do this, but I just feel compelled to do this. We have some of our favorite people uh, here this evening. We've got some of the senior residents from Volunteers of America, and they're sweet, sweet people of God. They're all the way in the back there, and uh, their, their caregiver, Sophia, she makes sure they get here. Sophia, you're a rock star. Man, we're good to have you guys. Thanks for being here, okay? Thank you so much for being in the house of God. So one of my buddies um, has been telling me for a few years, and he just won't leave me alone about it. Uh, he says, dude, you got to write a book, man. You got to write a book about your uh, million years in Christian ministry and tell about some of the unique things that you've come across in service to God. And I'm not going to do that. I'm not having any plans of doing that for a couple reasons. Number one, ain't nobody going to read it, okay? And secondly, if I were going to write a book, it would be something that had a little bit more uh, eternal impact than just some of the goofy things that I've seen in ministry. But if I were to write it, there would be a chapter about weddings. I've seen some of the craziest things at weddings. Anybody ever been to a wedding with crazy people? Anybody ever been there? Huh? I've learned through the years that most weddings, now not all of them, but most weddings have something goofy happen, some kind of a misstep somewhere that just kind of messes everything up and makes people laugh and causes bridezilla to lose her bonkers. For a little, I, I've, I've experienced those. I have a chapter that describes them. I, I remember the day that we had a dad here giving his daughter away, and he was a nervous wreck, man. He was scared to death, and we were worried is he was going to mess up his part. His part had two words. That's it, okay? Who gives this woman a marriage? I do. That's it. We practiced at rehearsal, and he'd mess it up, man. And we just thought, this is not going to happen. And so at the wedding, he comes down. Everybody's in prayer mode, man. I ask the question, and he nails it. I do. And everybody's secretly up here going, oh, thank Jesus for that. He says, I do. And that's when the dude lost it, man. He kissed his daughter, and he went back, and he was supposed to sit right there by his wife, and he just kind of wandered down the hall and the aisle and sat with a woman that he didn't even know. And uh, y'all know me, okay? And I couldn't leave that alone. And I said, what are you doing, dude? And the whole place kind of erupted. I'd have a chapter on weddings. I remember a wedding I had about a year and a half ago was a great couple, man. They're, they're unique, interesting, 
fascinating people, man, and they love each other passionately. And it was over um, in a backyard of a house over by uh, Elk Run Golf Club. And so it was real beautiful, and they had it set up in their backyard of this house, and uh, they had all the chairs and all the guests were out there, and the bride was going to come down this big stairwell from the deck of an upper part of the, the house. I mean, it was, just, it was just perfect, man. It was written perfectly. And so me and the groom are out here. The wedding's about five minutes away, about to start, and I look over, and the darkest clouds ever are starting to come in. And I looked at the groom, and I said this to him. I said, dude, I ain't making the call, man. I ain't making the call. You're making the call. Do you want me to tell everybody, hey, we're going to take a pause. Let's go inside, see if this can pass, or if you want to keep going, and if it starts raining, you want me to tell everybody, hey, let's, let's run in. We'll wait. And here's what he said to me. He said, rain never hurt me any. And I said, dude, I ain't worried about you. <laughs> I'm worried about that thing coming down, that stairwell right there. And here's what he said, and I quote, she'll be fine. <laughs> and she came down, and the heavens opened, and we did the wedding in pouring rain, and they sat there and laughed and laughed. That'd be in my book. Did you know that when Jesus taught, and we've been dealing with that for a while here, because he was a teacher. That's what he did, man. He was a great teacher. And when he taught, he taught in stories often. And do you know that a lot of his stories were about weddings? There was something about weddings that captivated the thought of our Savior. And so when he taught us principles and concepts about things, he would often pull up stories about weddings to make his point. And so what we're going to find out this weekend here at Eastside is we're going to dive into one of those stories, and by now you're pros at it, okay? Because you know now there's 40 of them in the Bible, 40 stories that he told we have recorded, and 14 of them have this unique beginning, 14 out of the 40, with the word like. We've been talking about it. That's the name of our series right now, like. And what Jesus does with these 14 stories is he says, I want to tell you a story that will help you understand what it's like to be a Christian, what it's like to have Jesus in your life. And he would then tell a story that would tell us that's what it's like. That's what it's like to love the Lord. And in this particular one we're going to look at today, he used a story about a wedding to describe what it's like to have Jesus in your life. What it's like to be a Christian and to live for God. What is that like? And he tells a story about a wedding. Now, you also know this because you're pros at it. We've been doing this for a few weeks now, that almost all of his stories have one driving point, one thing he's trying to teach. And so this story about a wedding has this thing that he wants us to know. Let's put it up there and look at it. Life as a Christian is like showing up and enjoying the greatest party ever held. Anybody here like to go to a party, huh? Nobody? You are the deadest people I know. Anybody here like a party, huh? Yeah, you like a party, okay? Jesus said 
that if I had to describe for you what it's like to be in the kingdom of God, to have me in your life, Jesus said this, it'd be like the greatest party you can ever imagine, and you show up and enjoy that. And what I want you to notice as we dive into the study of this, that, and, and this is really important that you catch, because we're going to get some stuff here, okay? We're going to get under some, some grill here. I, I want you to see that this concept here, he starts this story in a joyful, upbeat, celebration-type mode. That the mood was up and high and joyful and smiling and happy. And that's how the story starts. And so you can see it in the very first sentence of the parable. Let's look at it. Written to us by Matthew. And Jesus said, the kingdom of heaven is like. See it there? Like. Happens how many times in the Bible? 14 times. Kingdom of heaven is like a king who prepared a wedding banquet for his son. And that's how he starts. And so I want you to look at that. I want to do a little bit of technical work here for a minute because I think this is important. Because it's easy to kind of look at this and think that what Jesus is talking about here is he's talking about what it will be like when we get to heaven. And, and that's easy to look at that and think, okay, he's describing what life's gonna be like when we all get there. And that is partly true, but it's not completely true. Because as we've taught over these few weeks, when any when anytime Jesus told these parables, these stories, sometimes he would say, the kingdom of heaven is like, and other times he would say, the kingdom of God is like. And so what's he talking about there? And what he's talking about is living in the realm, the rule the presence of God, what it's like to live when God has control of every part of your life. And here's the reality of that. Some of that happens here on earth right now. And then when we get to heaven, it kind of bumps up and it's even better. So it's not talking just about heaven. It's talking about being under the authority and the lordship and the grace living in the center of the bullseye with God. And that's really good here. It's like a party here. And when you get to heaven, man, it even gets better. Remember what we did at Easter? Remember the golden forks? huh? So it's gonna get better in heaven. And so that's what he's talking about. What is it like to have Jesus in your life. What's that like? If somebody came up to you tomorrow and, and they, didn't, they didn't have a belief in God or anything and, and they knew that you were centered with Christ and they asked you, dude, can you tell me what that's like? And Jesus would say, well, it's like showing up and participating and enjoying in the greatest party that you could ever imagine. That's what it's like. That happens to touch on the theme of, I think, one of the best things that Jesus ever said. It's my favorite verse in the whole Bible. John chapter 10, verse 10. And Jesus said this. He said, I've come that you may have life and have it to the full. Not just in heaven, gang, but here, right here. I want your life to be the best it can be. That's what Jesus said. Here and then greater things in heaven. I love how the message translates that. Watch this. 
It says, I came so that you can have a real and eternal life. And I love this. More and better life than you ever dreamed of. And so whatever Jesus is going to do in this story, in this parable, as he talks about what it's like to be in him and to live for him, he starts out like this, on an upbeat, on a strong mood. It's like a party, man. It's life as good as life can be. Now, let me segue on that. I want you to ask you a question. Have you ever realized, and if you're familiar with the Bible, you probably have noticed this a few times, that whenever God tries to describe life as good as life can be, so life living for him, all right, in touch and connected with Christ, whenever the Bible talks about that, it often does so with the metaphor of food. I bet you never knew that. That when God wants to describe heaven, when God wants to describe what it's like to walk with Jesus here, he will often use it with the metaphor of food. I never knew that. A few years ago, my, my wife and I were on a road trip together, and we were up in the Chicago area, and on a Sunday we went to visit a church, and they were doing a teaching series on eating and I thought, that's the strangest thing I've ever heard. I didn't know anything about it. And they were taking several weeks, and they were talking about all the places in the Bible where God uses food to describe as a metaphor how awesome it is to live under him and in his will. And you think, why, why is that? Probably because we like to eat. We like food. And so God is saying, here's what it's like to walk with me eating the best stuff you could ever eat. That's what it's like. Last week, we were having dinner with our um, family down in Florida. And uh, sorry, whenever I'm with my grandkids, I'm going back to grandkids story, okay? So we're having dinner, and I said to the four-year-old, our four-year-old grandson, I said, buddy, no dinner is complete without ice cream. And he said, yes, that's right. And so we went to get some ice cream. So I took a picture of him in mid-chocolate uh, ice cream, and I brought it with me. So it's coming with that picture. There you go. Okay, check this out. All right? Now, I just want you to look at that for a minute, and I want you to hear this. That right there is what it's like to be in Jesus. Right there. If you want to know, what is life like as a Christian? What's it like, man? What's it going to be like in heaven? Okay, tell me what it's going to be like. Well, you can get the Bible and you can say, well, the Bible says. Or you can hang out with Christian people and see what their life's like. And hopefully through all those things you're learning, oh, that's what it's like to be a Christian. I say, baloney with all that stuff. Just look at this right here. That's what it's like to be in Jesus. And that's how the Lord starts his story on an upbeat, that if you are under my realm, if you're living as a Christian, life will never get any better than that. That's as good as it can get. That's how the story starts. Let me make a quick little point about that. I've heard people before at times who don't have anything to do with God and walk a different life and they don't want to do anything what we're doing. And sometimes they say, you know, I don't want to do that because if I become a Christian, man, i got to give up all the fun in life. And I want to say to them, dude, you don't know what you're talking about. You have no idea what you're talking about. You settle for chopped up sirloin when you can have marinated filet, bro. 
You're, you're settling for the other thing. I was in an elevator recently, and, a, and there was another guy in the elevator, and the door opened up, and another guy came in, and apparently those two knew each other, and it was in the morning, and the guy in the elevator said to the guy coming on, hey, man, you going to the gym with me down there? And he said, oh, man, there ain't no way. This hangover is just killing me. And I just wanted to look at him and say, that's all you got going? That's your idea of fun and good, that's it? That's, that's all you got? See, if, if I had my life come to a close on this earth and I find out after I die that all of this is a made-up fairy tale, none of this stuff's true, none of it. I find out that, that, that there's nobody even named Jesus and none of this stuff about heaven and hell, none of it is true at all. And I found that out, and I had a chance to come back and relive my life. Listen to me carefully. I would still choose to live it as a Christian. You know why? Because this is the best life you can have. It's the best life you can have. There is no better life than what you have under the realm of God's authority in your life. And so Jesus starts his story out like that that it is like a wedding banquet. And so it's not particularly that he's zeroing in on a wedding, he's talking about the banquet at the wedding. We would call it the reception. So it's the greatest wedding reception ever with all the food and all the good stuff. And, and Jesus starts it out that way. And you're listening to the story and you say, okay, so we're talking, this is gonna be great. And then just like that, just like that, immediately and drastically, the mood of the story changes. In the very first sentence, he took us up, and then the rest of the story, he starts to describe for us the people that will not be at the party. And it's like, man, we didn't see that coming. He started out the story, man, it's gonna be this awesome party, wedding banquet, wedding reception. We're gonna have the greatest food, man, it's gonna be awesome. And then just like that, he goes, let me tell you who ain't gonna be there. And so the rest of the parable of the wedding feast or the wedding banquet are the people who will not be at the party. So let me read it to you. And I just want to read it. I'm not going to put it on our screen because I want you to hear the mood. So the mood starts up high, man. It's like a wedding banquet. And then just like that, Jesus said. He sent his servants to those who had been invited to the banquet to tell them to come. But they refused to come. And then he sent some more servants and said, tell those who've been invited that I have prepared my dinner. My oxen and fattened calf have been butchered and everything is ready, man. Come to the wedding banquet. But they paid no attention and went off, one to his field and another to his business. The rest seized his servants, mistreated them and, and killed them. And the king was enraged. He sent his army to destroy those murderers 
and burn their city. And then he said to his servants, the wedding banquet is ready, but those I invited did not deserve to come. So go to the street corners and invite to the banquet anybody you find. So the servants went out into the streets and they gathered all the people they could find, both good and bad, and the wedding hall was filled with guests. And then catch this curveball. But when the king came in to see the guest, he noticed a man there who was not wearing wedding clothes. Friend, he asked, how did you get in here without wedding clothes? And the man was speechless. And then the king told the attendants, tie him hand and foot and throw him outside in the darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. For many are invited, but few are chosen. And that was his story. And if you took this thing and you really kind of dove into it and studied it and really played with the intricacies of the story itself. What the story is about is it captures our attention by this party mood to start, and then he describes four types of people who will not be at the party. And I think the purpose of the story is Jesus saying, make sure you're not one of those people. Make sure that doesn't describe you. So I'm going I'm to show them to you real brief. I won't spend the time they deserve, but I just want to kind of entice you a little bit. Let me tell you who ain't going to be at the party, okay? Who is not going to be under the realm of God's authority in their life. They're not going to live as a Christian. They're not going to be in heaven someday. Let me tell you who won't be there. Number one, the privileged will not be at the party. They're not going to be there. Now, I don't mean from that socioeconomically privileged. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about spiritually privileged. Now, every of these four categories get more intent, and by the time we get to the fourth of them, at least 75% of you will be mad at me and not want to talk to me ever again, okay? So each one gets more intense, and so let's find out what does the privileged mean? Who are we talking about? Well, you and I know this, that it is imperative to kind of dive into the details and the context of a story to find out what Jesus meant by this, okay? So when we do that with this particular story, here's one of the things that we find out, that this story was told on Monday, this is very important, of Holy Week. So Jesus died on Friday, and so the Monday before, that's when Jesus told this story. And so he's made his way into Jerusalem. We all know the story. He comes in on donkey, Palm Sunday, all that kind of stuff. And then on Monday, he's at the temple, and he tells the story. Friday, they're going to kill him. And what we know is the tension between Jesus and the religious leaders, the Jewish leaders, it is heating up, man. They are the ones that had him put to death. And so the tension is thick, and Jesus tells this story about this banquet and they go out and invite people to the banquet, and those people don't come to the banquet. And what Jesus is talking about are the Jews. 
He's talking to Jewish people, in particular the Jewish leaders, that your whole life you knew the Messiah was coming. You knew the Savior would be sent by God. And now I'm here, and you're rejecting me. You're not coming to the party. And he was talking about them. There's an interesting verse in the context of all that. Go back to Matthew chapter 21, just a few verses earlier, and notice this. When the chief priest and the Pharisees, those were the leaders of the Jewish people, heard Jesus' parables, catch this out, they knew he was talking about them. And so what is the parable of the wedding banquet? Jesus is saying to the Jewish people, the Jewish leaders, that your whole life you've heard about me. You're privileged, man. You ought to know. You ought to know better. And now we're here. And you're not coming to the party. You're rejecting me. And so I'm just going to go get Gentiles to come now instead. And that was the point of the whole parable. It was about those guys. So, that brings to light this question. And now's when we're going to start getting under some grills here a little bit. See, what does a group of Jewish leaders rejecting Jesus, who their whole life have been taught about Jesus, what's that got to do with a bunch of Gentiles like me and you 2,000 years later? What does it have to do with that? I sometimes wonder, and I want you to hear this. I sometimes wonder about spiritually privileged people today. Now listen carefully because I might be talking about your kids. I might be talking about your parents. I might be talking about people you love. I sometimes wonder about spiritually privileged people today, people who were raised in Christian homes, people who were faithfully took to church by their parents all their lives, people who had Christian influence in their life, maybe people who even went to Christian schools, and now they grow up as adults and they want nothing to do with the kingdom of God. Dude, you should have known better. You've been privileged. Not everybody had the raising that you did. I know I didn't. You ought to know better. And so the spiritually gifted, the spiritually privileged, who've known about this their whole life, and now are not walking with him. Listen to this. They will not be at the party. You, you see why they killed Jesus? Because he just laid it out. And if that's not uncomfortable enough, then let me show you the next category of people who won't be at the party, and I've labeled them the excuser. Now, now, here's what I mean by that. If you look at the parable, you'll notice if I reread it, you would catch this, that these people that were invited to the party, they actually get two invitations. The first one, they show up, and uh, the servants invite them. They say, nah, we don't have anything to do with it. And so Jesus says, well, go back and invite them again and give them a little more detail. And so they go back the second time, they say, dude, the food is ready, man. We got the best stuff in town, ready. It's there, it's hot, it's ready. And then we back the second time, and the second time it says, we're, we're just not interested. And it said, they went about their business instead. Now everybody watch this. 
You know this because you're from East Side and you're smart, right? Huh? We're the smartest church in town. Don't tell anybody, but we know, okay? Now, you know this because we've taught this to you, that some of the stories that Jesus taught, he taught multiple times. We've talked about that. And so this story in Matthew 22, we think that he told it also another time that's recorded in Luke chapter 14. And if you put Matthew 22 and Luke 14 together, you'd see there's some differences, but it's generally the same kind of story. And so when we go to Luke 14, when it talks about, they said, now nah, we're not going to go to the party. We've got some other stuff we're going to do. In the Luke 14 story, it tells us what they did. And they made excuses why they couldn't come to the party. And Luke 14 talks about those excuses. Let me show you some of them. One guy said this, I just bought a field and I must go see it, so please excuse me. Now, let me ask you a question. Would you ever buy property that you had never seen? Hmm? You wouldn't do that. And so look at the next guy. The next guy says this, I just bought five yoke of oxen and I'm on my way to try them out. Please excuse me. Can't go to the party. Got to do this. Bought, bought these oxen. See, the oxen was the equipment for a farmer in that day. The oxen planted the seed. The oxen harvested the crop. And so a farmer says, well, I can't go. I got to go check out my machinery that I just bought. I want to try it out. Let me ask you this. Have you ever met a farmer with a half an ounce of brain who would ever buy a combine before he found out whether or not it would start. Like, wow. And then Jesus gave the last excuse. The guy said this, <laughs> I just got married so I can't come. I'm just going to leave that alone right there, okay? Because every brother in the, ta- in the room right now is going to yeah, I know, I've been there. I understand all about that, okay? Now, here's what's happening in Luke 14. Catch it because this is now going to be uncomfortable. The excuses that people use today, why I can't be under the realm of God's authority in my life, why I can't have Jesus control every part of my life, the reason you use excuses that make all the sense in the world to you, that you now have justified the reasons why God is not the central part of my life, God's perspective, the only one that really matters, looks at your excuses and says they are flimsy at best and ridiculous at worst. And so all the excuses that we hear with people who come up with reasons why they can't follow the lordship of Jesus. So I can't seem to control my language because, I mean, everybody I work with has a foul mouth. And I I can't make it to church, man. My kid's schedule is crazy. And I I can't forgive that person, man. Just none of my DNA. That's how I work, man. You hurt me. I hurt you. I just who I am. I can't do anything about it. And everybody comes up with all these excuses that we justify in our mind. And we think that's a good excuse. And God says, I think it's a lousy excuse. And those who make excuses will not be at the party. Somebody say, wow. Okay, three of you are with me on this, okay? 
The rest of you are going, wow, inside. Now, let me, let me get the rest of you mad who aren't mad yet. Let me go to this one. Here's another group of people that, who will not be there, the hostile. Did it bother you when I read the story that after the second time they were invited, that those who were invited then killed the people who were inviting them? Did that bother you? Beat them up and killed them. I said, I'm not coming to your party. Bam, killed you. And what Jesus was probably doing was he was kind of predicting what was going to happen to people in the early church when they would then proclaim the kingdom of God to an evil world and they would go through awful, horrible, hostile persecutions from an ungodly world. And Jesus is probably saying that's what's going to happen. There are going to be people who will be hostile to you when you stand on the word of God. Now, I think the intensity of that is different from various parts of the world. But right here today, in a civilized society like America, in what we used to think was the freest, greatest land on the face of the globe, even in the center of the Bible Belt where you and I live, Let me tell you part of my world. You go see what happens to you when you publicly say that marriage is between a man and a woman. Just go say that wherever you go tomorrow. Go see what happens when you explain the very narrow parameters from God on sexuality. Just go say that in today's world and see what happens to you. Go see what happens when you say God deserves one day every week from your life to worship him. He deserves it and you ought to give it to him. Go see what people will say about you. Just go try that out. Go see what happens when you say that the first tenth of our income isn't yours. And if you spend the first tenth of your income, you are stealing from the hands of God. It's not your money. Go tell people that tomorrow. See what happens. Go see what happens when you say alcohol can ruin your testimony and limit you in your walk with God. Go see how many people think you have lost your living mind. Go, go try to say that tomorrow. Go see what happens when you say children should be appropriately disciplined to teach them right from wrong. Go into public school today and start promoting that and just watch what happens. And what happens is a hostility to the truth of God's word like we have never seen in all of America. And that's where we're at today. And I want you to listen to this because it's going to mess somebody up. Is a lot of that hostility comes from among our own team. From us. And so here's what Jesus said in the parable. Remember how he started it? So I beat, there's going to be a party. And you're all right. And he says, no, let me tell you, you ain't going to be there. And when you are hostile, listen, when you are hostile to the truths of God's word, you will not be at the party. Somebody say, wow. Okay, some of you coming along, ain't you? All right, let me make the rest of you mad. Let's look at this. There will not be any imposters at the party. And there's this weird, 
unusual addition at the end of the story. So the king shows up at the banquet. It's his son's wedding, man, and everybody's there. And he looks over. And there's somebody who snuck into the party. Anybody here ever crash a party you weren't welcomed at? And he goes up to him and says, dude, how'd you get in here? You don't have wedding clothes on. Now, that's kind of an interesting study in itself. What does that actually mean? And here's what most Bible scholars believe was the case in those days, that when you showed up at events like this, particularly wedding receptions and banquets, you were given something to wear that signified the celebration of the union of this man and woman. Might have been a cloak, might have been a robe of some sort. And so everybody's got this in celebration, and there's a guy in there that doesn't have it on. He said, how'd you get in here? You're having wedding clothes on. And what's happening there, most scholars believe that what Jesus is talking about, listen carefully, because here's where it really gets under our grill. He's talking about us here in this room when there are people who sneak in among us They live among us, they're here, they're in the party. Some of them might be looking at me right now while I'm talking. They are here, and instead of putting God's clothing on, that I will now live under his rule. I will live under his lordship. I want to wear his clothes. I want to do life his way. I want to please him. Instead of doing all that, they are here among us, and here's their attitude. Now I got my own clothes. I got my own way of doing things. Jesus is saying that for all of history in the Christian church, please hear me, there will be imposters among us who receive Jesus as Savior, but they are not about to make him Lord. And Jesus said, you will be found out. Somebody say, wow. And that was the end of the parable. Now, it's interesting to me that as he got toward the end, he at least turned the direction back up a little bit because he said, now the banquet hall is going to be full, man. There's a lot of people going to be there. I told you about the people ain't going to make it. But here's some people going to be there. Man, They're going to live their life under Jesus on this earth. They're going to go to heaven, Golden Fork. Man, it's even better. There's a lot that are there. And he said, there's not going to be an empty seat in the realm of God. Look how he says this. I love it. He said, and the wedding hall was filled with guests. Man, there's all kinds of people in the kingdom of God. And then he ends with that interesting phrase where he said, now many's invited, anybody can come. We invite everybody, but there's only gonna be a few chosen. There's gonna be a lot of people who aren't gonna make it because they're falling into these categories instead. Now let me tell you something that I I found um, this week, and I wanna end on this. Um. 
I need, I need a couple minutes to tell you that, so don't get your stuff ready and get, you know, I know how y'all do, okay. Um, y'all, y'all been to weddings, okay, and um, you know that when you go there, probably, I, I think definitely in an American culture, one of the most central things when you go to a wedding is what does the bride look like? You know, what's she dressed as? How's she looking, okay? How's her hair all dolled up, okay? And there's actually an explanation of that at the end of the Bible. And I don't, I don't know if you've ever seen that. And I think it's one of the most electric, beautiful things in all of God's Word. And it happens at the very end of the Bible and, and the, the historical chronology of it is Jesus has returned and he's gotten rid of all influences of evil, all the influence and the power of evil. It's all been destroyed. I mean, stop right there and let that live with you for just a second and get down and mess with you for a second. Can you imagine 10 minutes of your life with no influence of evil? And, and so evil is completely destroyed And then the Bible says at the end that Jesus then will gather together all his people throughout the ages, all Christians, all people who've lived under the realm of God, and he will escort them into heaven forever and ever and ever. And there's this place in the Bible that talks about where he takes us into heaven, and it is called the wedding of the Lamb. And Jesus is the groom, the lamb. And his people are the bride. And so at the end of the world, he gets us all together. And man, I hope I'm one of them and I hope you're one of them. And he takes us to heaven. And there is a wedding between the groom Jesus and the bride, all the people who've lived under his realm. And they have a wedding of the lamb. And the Bible in the 19th chapter of Revelation describes that wedding, and I want you to see just one part of the wedding. Let me show it to you. For the wedding of the Lamb has come. And watch this. And his bride, you know who that is? You. You. Watch this. And his bride has made herself ready. That means we are exquisite. We are beautiful. We are breathtaking. And our groom is so proud of the bride that is now his. But the trick of that verse is what comes in the very next verse because it describes what this means to make herself ready. Let me show you to you the very next verse. Fine linen bright and clean was given her to wear. That's her gown. That's our gown that we will have. And watch this. You see these parentheses? Doesn't happen very very times in the Bible where the Bible puts in these parentheses an explanation. Fine linen stands for the righteous acts of the saints. Now don't lose me. Don't lose me. What we're seeing here is the creation of, of your wedding gown. 
and events in your life right now, things that happen into your life right now, things you do, those are sewn into the tapestry of your beautiful gown. And so every time a Christian performs a godly act of service to another person. You done anything for anybody lately? Listen, it is embroidered into your gown. Every time a Christian stands on truth, even if it costs you, it is stitched into the seams of your gown. Every time a Christian displays a godly attitude in a difficult circumstance, everybody else is mad and angry and losing their mind, and you are patient and kind. It's in the gown. Every time a Christian chooses the lordship of Jesus over their own desires, it goes into the gown. Isn't it a beautiful thought that Jesus will take you as his bride, clothed in a gown of every time in your life where you stood with him. Did anybody catch this? There's nothing in your gown of your failures and your mistakes, and your regrets. None of it is in your gown. And those are the people who end up at the banquet. Those are the chosen. And so what does your gown look like right now? Father, I thank you for your graceful invitation to your party. There's none of us that deserve to be here. We're invited and welcomed by your grace. I'm so sorry for the times that we abuse it, the times we ignore it, times we cheapen it. And may this day we be motivated to be the bride that you long for. The party. Oh, oh, the party. The party. Let the party begin. Amen.